Welcome to Single-Minded Conversations. I'm your host, Jesse Single. I'm a podcaster and journalist. I have another show called Blocked and Reported and a newsletter. Uh, I'm coming to you from the Bay Area. I'm on a little West Coast swing. I went skiing a couple days ago for the first time ever in California, uh, and I had a truly epic fall that I think a lot of people on Twitter would have loved to have witnessed, where I just slid down a steep mountainside for probably 100 or 150 feet. Uh, I was okay though, but it was, it was, my friend said it was just like a cloud of snow just moving slowly down the mountain. So still a little bit sore from that day. Uh, I want to just give a little spiel about some of the censorship discourse or misinformation discourse or whatever you want to have it, call it. And then you guys can ask me whatever you want to call, ask me. I'm not talking very well so far. I should have had coffee. Uh, anyway, just on the, on the Joe Rogan, Spotify, whatever thing, I, I don't really want to debate the specifics, but I am just continually struck by a couple things. One is how little thought people give into this question of the amount of power we give companies like Spotify to sort of decide what the truth is. And there are obviously instances of intentional bad faith misinformation. There are people like Alex Jones who spread it to make money. Uh, I mean, obviously I can't look inside his head. I think he does that on purpose. There's also genuinely complicated situations such as with the pandemic where you probably do not want to clamp down on speech that much because the science changes quickly and the situation changes quickly. And believing that doesn't mean you like, you know, anti-vax sentiment or, or vaccine denialism. It, it's just these sort of basic liberal ideas about, about what it means to have an open discourse that I think people are forgetting um, with alarming alacrity and, and just a failure to even understand the other side of that argument Uh Obviously, if you grow up liberal, you hear about this, uh, the Nazi march in Skokie where ACLU lawyers defended Nazis who wanted to march in Skokie, which is a community that had a lot of Holocaust survivors at the time. And I, I genuinely think today, you know, a lot of people would just see the start and the end of the discussion. Well, that's harmful speech. That would offend the, the Holocaust survivors. That would harm them. And that's that's it. There's no other side to the debate. And watching people who are themselves often very wrong about stuff loudly call for companies like Spotify to sort of stake out a much firmer position really worries me. And I also think there's like a really lack, uh, people should get in the queue if you have any questions. I, I think there's like a really disturbing lack of any self-awareness because I, I just don't think liberal media has covered itself with glory in the last four or five or six years. There've always been some issues, but it just seems unlike every hot button controversial issue that gets people mad you could honestly just take them off the google memo people fucked up massively covington people fucked up massively uh jacob blake people fucked up massively kyle rittenhouse they fucked up it's just fuck up after fuck up with mainstream outlets publishing stuff that is false I don't want those outlets to platform. I want them to do better. But I don't want the people who are participating in the misinformation and disseminating it to then call for other people to be deplatformed. Uh, some of the folks who are taking a leading role in these campaigns themselves like have a little bit of a – I don't want to say blood on their hands, but, but they're, they're part of the problem. And I think it's this failure to realize – that your tribe is contributing to the problem, that's an issue. And, you know, I always feel like I do need to add that I, I do think the right-wing misinformation ecosystem is more developed for various reasons. And and I wrote more about that in 2015, 2016, but I absolutely think we're catching up and we need a uh, this idea that that, you know, Joe Rogan is the problem. He's the reason people would believe medical misinformation. I just, I don't buy it, but I'll, I'll stop right now. Uh, what's up, you sorry? Hey, Jesse. How's it going? Oh, it's going all right. How are you enjoying uh, your time in NoCal? It's good. It's incredibly beautiful here. Like coming – I got out of New York City right before the blizzard. You just land anyway, in vast swaths of the west coast or the southwest. It's like you're on, on another planet with the the mountains and the different vegetation or whatever. So I, I like that. It sort of resets my brain a little bit. I'm glad to hear it. I like living here. Um, so, yeah, the, the whole – I mean there's sort of two aspects of the the – censorship discourse the one is sort of like the the epistemology right of like how you get at truth who determines what truth is i mean that's a whole rabbit hole that you could go down that i don't want to but there there needs to be a little more epistemic humility especially with all of the misinformation 
that's come out with respect to the, the pandemic. Masks are bad, then they're good. Now cloth masks are bad again. You know, it was a lab leak. No, it's not a lab leak. Protests are bad, then they're good. It's just getting at the actual truth. But what really, the aspect of it that I find really frustrating is the, the would-be censors on the left who want to police speech. And this isn't new. I mean, this goes back to speech codes and all this stuff. And wanting to, to ban speech and, and you know, in, on behalf of the powerless. And it's like, look, if you are taking up the cause of regulating speech, you are not the powerless, right? By definition, you think that you have sufficient power to squash other perspectives. So, you, you know, it's that simultaneous posture of, oh, woe is us. And also let's crush free speech that, that just drives me crazy because I find it so disingenuous. Yeah, I think there's a, like... I mean, obviously, power is a complicated thing. It's not binary, but obviously, a lot of the people calling loudly for censorship have a, a fair amount of cultural power. And uh, yeah, the the idea that the people who hate Joe Rogan don't have power is, is silly. I mean, obviously, Joe Rogan has power too. But um, no, I mean, I, I agree with everything you're saying. I think it's not as though there's this sturdy foundation of careful truth seekers who are on the scene to help us with that. It's something quite close to the opposite where people just jump around and change their opinion based on, on who the players are involved. So anyway, I'm with you. It's a pretty crappy time, uh, epistemically. Yeah, no. And, and I agreed with, with some of your tweets about, I, I, is it jet here, jeet here? Like, yeah. you know, and, and Hobbs and just like, yeah, whose ox is being gored. That's all you need to know. And it's it, just the lack of the sheer lack of principle just drives me crazy. It reminds me, this is like totally out of left field, but it's just one of my pet things. It was with the, the killings in Atlanta of the, the massage workers um, and the DA who had just been run and and gotten elected on a, on a no death penalty platform. And then she announced she was going to seek the death penalty. (laughs) And it was like, Oh, but I never imagined that something is bad. It's like, don't pretend you have principles, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Principle when it's hard to stick by and you actually stick by it. Otherwise it's just convenience. Anyway, Rant over. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Thanks, sorry. No, I'm with you. Uh, what's up, Shauna? Howdy. Um, just so you know, I uh, for your hundredth episode of your other uh, podcast, I put a little buzzword uh, bar pod bingo card out there for all the world to enjoy. So, oh, is this on, on your... Twitter? Where, where did you post it? I posted on um, Reddit. Okay, so, on the subreddit. I'll look for that. Yeah, I should have been uh, working on my children's uh, little math bingo cards. Instead, I created an NPR uh, buzzword catcher for all of us to enjoy. <laughs> I like it. So, um, yeah, just to uh, – I didn't – I don't even know that I have a question. It's just this opportunity to rant uh, when you feel like you're the only sane person and a, and a, a minority of, of sane people. But, you know, the, this idea of, of Neil Young who – in some of his own materials, propagated the idea that uh, what Monsanto, uh, uh, you know, just like uh, a lot of general. I'm not that familiar, yeah. but a lot of anti-GMO craziness. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and causing autism, and you know, fine, put that in a bucket. But I just think it's so intellectually dishonest when anyone who has bothered to listen to more than five or six of Rogan's podcasts uh, that obviously he takes on a variety of issues. I wouldn't even, sorry, it's not taking on issues. He's just having discussions with other human beings because he's a curious human being. And I thought how he handled his response that he was uh, appropriately uh, humble and uh, straightforward. I don't see him as having some kind of alternate agenda he is not like Alex Jones, who just goes out and literally shouts into a microphone, telling the world how to think and what to think. I, I thought the point of Joe Rogan's podcast experience was um, for you to decide what to think and how to think and just to be curious. Like this idea that we are supposed to squash the concept of curiosity is so defeating to me. Yeah. It, it We should be curious. We shouldn't be able to have a high BS monitor as well. I mean, uh, what was Kat Rosenfeld's survey results of, of Twitter in which didn't she ask how many people here who listen to Joe Rogan are also vaccinated? 
and it was like the vast majority like give me a break the the, tr the little trust that we have in each other as human beings decided that oh if my 24 year old son or friend or neighbor listens to joe rogan too much it's going to cause him to do x y and z listening to talk more talk doesn't cause any other human to perform an action this idea that i don't know i guess i'm so old i was taught as a classical liberal that the answer to talk is more talk yeah no i mean i'm with you i i, I think it um I don't think the the best or truest ideas always win out, like in the marketplace of ideas or whatever. I just think that I will always err on the side of allowing more voices in. I, you know, I only just because I was on a show once. I once in a while I DM with Rogan and I I said you should have Fauci on. I I wish he would do that. Uh, not that Fauci's infallible. I I don't always think he's picked the best people to have on. I just think the authorities have often flip flopped on such basic. Uh, forms of guidance and there's a lot of like big name MDs on Twitter who are spouting what I think is nonsense so I, I really think if people didn't have other political problems with Rogan and didn't view him as a reactionary which he isn't I mean I think he's a little bit all over the place politically I, I don't think there'd be this intent focus on his um, misinformation but uh, anyway I appreciate the call Sean anything else? Uh, no I think that's good points and I, and I do hope that he does stand by his word and say, hey, I want to bring in some dissenting opinions. I think that's a good idea. And I also see that uh, just as a listener over the years, I did see quite an uptick of just negative response to him in general once he did get that large contract. So I, I do think that there's some underpinnings, just like with those of you on Substack, there does seem to be a little bit of a high school um, jealousy element going on as journalists. So I'm just going to put that out there that's definitely part of it the money's absolutely part of it thanks shauna uh oh i should add that i haven't i haven't i'm i've just been running around with the travel i haven't watched his instagram response video yet but i will uh so i can't comment on that patrick what's up uh wolf wolf uh jesse welcome to the <laughs> area thank uh, you i hope you enjoy it here uh if you haven't make sure to make it over to oakland and give oakland some love because we are often forgotten over on the other side of the bridge <laughs> absolutely uh so I guess kind of like talking about some of the earlier points about principles and that kind of stuff. A lot of the kind of controversies right now, I would say maybe I just didn't notice them growing up, but a lot of like kind of like principles are kind of being given up or deleted, I guess, for a kind of greater good. And I find it kind of troubling where people will kind of like talk out of both sides of their mouth about stuff. So when you encounter, I guess, people in your daily life or other kind of stuff when you just see kind of people betraying what they ostensibly stand for in their principles do you, do you find any way to like kind of challenge them on it without like people resorting into like defensiveness or just kind of other kind of stuff the closest thing i can compare it to would be like back when i was at uh, notre dame people uh when you would like kind of challenge them on basic kind of theology grounds would like kind of shell up and there's just, like, I feel like there's no way to have, like, productive discourse about, like, any of these kind of things. Because if you mention that, even just say, like, maybe censoring's not a bad idea, you get the same kind of, like, reaction of, like, you're a racist or you're uh, killing millions, other kind of stuff. Yeah. I, um... I mean, it's probably... I don't, I don't really get into, believe it or not, fights about politics in person. On... on Twitter online, I just basically try to point out when people are being hypocritical because it seems so obvious to me that some forms of misinformation are excused. And I had a couple – had a back and forth legit here that was mentioned and I was sort of complaining about Michael Hobbs. And in both cases, they basically said X kind of misinformation is worse than Y. Without, without really defending the position or explaining how they'd come to that conclusion, it just happens to be by sheer coincidence that what Joe Rogan's doing is worse than what they or their allies are doing. And I think that's telling because the whole point of my, my stance on this is people are going to disagree about what is quote-unquote harmful speech, about which kinds of speech are more harmful or less harmful, uh, which kinds of misinformation are more harmful or less. This is, these are all reasons to take a – uh, I guess small C conservative approach and to let more stuff out into the world and to not be heavy handed about it. And all my experience with social media companies is that they're too heavy handed about restricting certain forms of controversial speech. A lot of the time stuff that, that is completely mainstream. So 
I went off on a little bit of a rant there. I mean, all I think we can do is like point out the hypocrisy when it occurs and try to explain to people what it would actually mean if Spotify was going to this actively fight misinformation for anyone that signed a contract with Spotify. So like the entire Ringer podcast network, I believe, now has an agreement with Spotify. Does that mean whenever a Ringer podcast host says something false, Spotify should swoop in and edit the episode or, or post a notice. I, I think the focus on Rogan alone leaves out the fact that like, you probably have to be somewhat consistent if you're going to go. to. Yeah. And just on that, like I think Rogan's kind of too big to fail to use the bank parlance or yeah. whatever spot him because he already had his kind of base, but like, I don't necessarily know how this is going to like play out like down the road. Is it going to be like a me too situation where, like, sure, like, some bad Alex Joneses get taken out, but, like, if I get a grudge against someone because they, like, talk shit about, like, my favorite episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and I start reporting them for false information, am I going to kill, like, a small, smaller podcast who are maybe trying to find an audience? Yeah. No, I think there's there are some signs of a – there's obviously mis- online misinformation is a problem. I think there are some signs of a moral panic here and of people weaponizing that concept to try to go after their enemies – I think both things can be true at the same time and, and it's just fighting it is much more complicated than people think because it's not like an infectious disease where you can just isolate people and they won't get it. People believe what they believe for a variety of reasons. They don't just like arrive at Joe Rogan, a fresh newborn babe with no beliefs and are, and are like, oh, I'll, I guess I'll believe whatever this guy says. Like If they're turning to Joe Rogan for medical information, there are reasons for that and those reasons would exist even if Rogan um, – didn't. So uh, anyway, thank you for the call, Patrick. No problem. Meg, what's up? Hey. Um, so I, I think everyone on who's <laughs> tuning in is, is going to agree with the stance that, of course, you know, it's, it's bad that tech companies are censoring, right? Yeah. But something that I feel like gets missed a lot in this conversation on both sides is not so much the larger players like Joe Rogan, but if you want Facebook or Twitter or whatever – to censor they're not manually reviewing everything <laughs> you yeah. know it's, it's a computer program and in one of my many lives that i've led um i did advertising with with facebook so my job oh, interesting yeah so i i have a lot of insight on that and i have several instances where my ads were not approved because of certain standards that anyone especially liberals actually would probably not be happy about it um the one that jumps most to my mind and is probably fitting actually for February, but it was an ad for a company advertising that it's a great place um, in terms of like the racial equity. Right. But that becomes targeting job applications based on race. So even though you're trying to advertise, like it's a great place for people of color, it gets capped because it's. Oh, it's and so even that's, it's funny because on Twitter, people will just openly say, they would go, they'll creep right up to the edge of saying like certain races shouldn't apply. I mean, white people shouldn't apply. You're saying Facebook wouldn't even run an ad that just said we're a good place for, for diverse people. Huh. Right. Right. We're like, you know what? I, I forget whatever. And then I mean, maybe it was like Essence Magazine. I don't remember what it was, but the content was like, this is a great, you know, we're a very multi diverse company. Um, and then that got capped. Yeah. And then you could do that with gender as well. So it's, and, and the whole point is, it's not like anyone is looking at it. It's like the system's like, oh, I see the word African-American. I see that you can apply for jobs. Like, that's not. Oh, I mean, their, their moderation, that, my understanding is they're overwhelmed. And it would be hard for them to ever have enough staff to not really be overwhelmed. Like, it's just not, it's an impossible task, right? Right. Well, and my point is, it's like, you could ask for, uh, you previously could. I had an issue today. It's a different story. Like, you could ask for reviews sometimes. But the point is that. It's not when it's making those decisions what to show. It's not coming yeah. from a human. So just the idea that you're like, oh, we should. And that's my whole thing whenever I see like, oh, Twitter needs to like stamp down on their hate speech. I'm like, first of all, that definition of itself varies from person to person. And then you're going to make a robot do it. Like that's not going to work for any of them. No, that. I mean, it's a great point. It just gets to that, that issue of unintended consequences. Who could be against fighting hate speech or fighting misinformation? It sounds so good, but but in my recent experience, the people who call for this most loudly, uh, they never take the obvious next step of trying to def- like define the term. What exactly do you mean? Misinformation according to who? We have massive fights about the most basic facts in this country, and that doesn't mean you need to like put who won the election on equal footing like for true conspiracy theories, but there's much like – 
There's a million like slow boiling issues where people absolutely argue about the facts. The idea that a, a social media company is just going to say, okay, this is true, this is false, in all but the simplest, I don't know. I'm just agreeing with you. This, this is one of the weaknesses I found so far of Colin, which I have a lot of fun with, is there's not a lot of disagreement. Because um, obviously people who are have generally pro, uh, generally liberal beliefs on free speech are drawn to rooms like this one. But I think we're disagreeing with one another. Yeah, but I, I don't want to call in to give that, you know, not most people in the world aren't going to be doing what I did. And it's like, well, let me tell you. Oh, no, no, sorry. Yeah, I wasn't. I'm, your contribution is yeah. very helpful. I, that, and that's fascinating to me. And it's such a good yeah. example of, of the unintended consequences thing. So I definitely appreciate that. Right, right. Um, and, and then, of course, it's only it has only gotten worse as people crack down more on Facebook. It constantly makes my job harder, but that's a different story. Um, and, and then the other thing I want to say, and I don't think anyone in this room would agree, but what do people think they'll gain by banning something like this is this is what i can't wrap my head around because people have always criticized religious sides for always just just suppress what's what's what you don't like that only makes it more desirable <laughs> so that's yeah. that's my other thing that i'm always it's frustrating for me as someone growing up who came from like a basically grew up in the bible belt and like i see the exact sort of tactics used there now being used by quote unquote like the free thinking side <laughs> like it's not yeah. free thinking and and the worst thing you're doing is you're just making it more appealing so i'm with you i think for for something like the rogan thing if they like banned whatever episodes they're complaining about or edited it that would instantly spread whatever information they're trying to ban way further so it's it's this again unintended consequences not an easy problem to solve Okay, that was just... No, I appreciate it, Gabby, what's up? Hey, Jesse, have you been to Santa Cruz ever? Um, Yes, a very long time ago. I remember it being beautiful. It is so beautiful. It's just south, uh, I guess, of where you are now. Highway 1 is a beautiful drive. If you you, uh, feel like it, they've got uh, uh, some excellent vegan food there. Excellent. Yeah, I think uh, I'm going to at least pass through there for sure. Oh yeah, if you well, if you're driving south, I recommend take the one from from the Bay Area. Uh, you'll you'll be right on the coast if you've not done that before. It's a beautiful drive, and then takes you through Santa Cruz. It might, it's not the quickest way. I don't know how far. No, south that's you're that's going, the plan but... is to take the PCH to LA next. Oh, I've never done before. Uh, oh, God bless. I'm in uh, heaven just picturing that. Enjoy. That is so much fun. Well, listen, um, Tel Aviv is full of vegans uh, these days, too. I don't know if you realize <laughs> that. It's surprisingly yeah. vegan. There's more vegan food than homeless here now. So the point of my question is actually to do with being here overseas and trying to explain to some otherwise intelligent leftist friends, journalists, podcasters even, why this all matters. They've heard of it, but like, for example, a good friend of mine um, who thinks of himself as a leftist claims that, um, well, who, who cares? Rogan can say what he wants. Spotify can do what it wants. Gabby, why do you, why do you care? Um, just let everyone say what they want, do what they want. It sounds to us like you want to cancel Neil Young, he says to me. I said, I don't want to cancel Neil Young. I don't want censorship of rogan and then my friend says well won't he go to another company if he's not on spotify i say well yeah now i know this is going to maybe be redundant to you who's been a part of these discussions for so long and i should be able to answer my friend better i'm a harper's letter guy in spirit i know all the arguments but you know with some of these leftists here for example they're they're they they say well you're you, you know this is a privileged discourse of you know, Americans who, like, uh, really, people who are doing well anyway, you know, Jesse Single in the bar pod and you, and you're, you're all crying about, you know, little dings on your privileges. And I just don't believe any of that. I believe it's very important that the quality of our democracy is at stake uh, in a multiplicity of these events and that cancel culture is real. I guess I'm coming up against people who don't think so and to keep it focus on this one issue who who say well just let spotify exercise its property rights and i go you guys are leftists and they go and well we want heavy taxation we don't want to do away with with property rights i'm like okay good me too how, how can you answer this kind of foolishness yeah no, i mean i think i uh, just try to point out the hypocrisy and point out that 
even if you don't think people have a right to express views you disagree with, which unfortunately a lot of people don't, for there's pragmatic reasons not to want to give a company like YouTube or Spotify that much power. We should we should support the norm that companies shouldn't have a heavy hand, just the way we should support the norm of the government not having a heavy hand. I mean, I hate that you have to make the tribal argument of of powerful interests will always suppress leftist speech in the long run, but I I do think that's true. I mean, I hate to go the tribal route, but yeah, I mean, I I think just keep pointing that stuff out. I'm, I'm not saying it's easy to convince people, and um, I, it doesn't. It feels like at least among journalists and stuff, there's such a move toward censorship. I don't like the trajectory, but you know, I don't, I don't know how much control we have over it. That's nice. I like the way you put that. Um, I, I feel like there's a little bit of a shrug there at the end where, where, uh, you know, I, you can't convince people always, but you know where you stand, uh, obviously. And I, I do as well. And you definitely can't convince Israeli journalists of anything. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just, just, yeah, just, just like you said, thanks a lot. Thanks, Gabby. Jesse, great name. Jesse, you got to uh, unmute yourself so I can hear you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, yeah, your name's all right. <laughs> um, so I'm here to uh, to disagree with you, which I How dare you. appreciate. Um, and I guess, you know, sort of the place to start is exploring the idea of whether what we're witnessing here with Rogan and Spotify is actually censorship. And if sure. it's useful to try to frame it that way. I mean, you know, there's an argument for companies like Facebook and Twitter about whether they are a platform who is not endorsing anything that is said on them or whether they're a publisher. For Spotify, in this case, it seems pretty straightforward that they are a publisher, right? They pay Joe Rogan for this content. They are the exclusive publisher of the content. I, so what's happening here, oh, from what I can tell... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm I didn't sorry. mean... I, no, no, finish your thought. Then I'll... I'll I, I have a thought about that, but go ahead. Okay. So... What's happening here is some people didn't like Joe Rogan's content, right? Including Neil Young and a bunch of other people. And they went out and used their free speech to say, hey, I don't like this. And, you know, I think Spotify should get rid of it. Or, you know, I think if they don't get rid of it, I'm going to pull my content or whatever it is they said. And that's all totally legitimate speech. And Spotify responded by saying, hey, we hear you. Here's the small step that we're going to do. We're going to keep publishing Rogan's content, but we're going to, you know, maybe put these little markers here and there when there's some stuff that we think might be, you know, uh, the stuff that we don't want to publish or that we want to publish only with a caveat. Um, so I guess, you know, the question is, like, why would we think of this as censorship, right? This is no different than, you know, someone on Fox News says something crazy and a bunch of people say, like, hey, we don't like that. Like, let's, you know, pull our advertising dollars. Right. Yeah, that's that's not a free speech issue. Well, I, I think um, people were Neil Young wanted uh, Joe Rogan removed from Spotify. He said he leaves or I leave, and a lot of people seemed, based on my Twitter feed, a lot of fairly big name journalists and academics and others seemed to, as far as I could tell, be in favor of Rogan being kicked off the platform. Um, the publisher platform thing is complicated. I saw. Ryan Broderick, who I, I really dislike for other reasons, make this point on his Substack that this is obviously a case where Spotify is Rogan's publisher. I actually think it's more complicated than that. Like, so when I worked at at New York Magazine, I published stuff, but I think everyone understood that like New York Magazine bore some responsibility for stuff under my byline because uh, there were layers of editing and there were certain quality control standards. I think if you sign a contract with Spotify saying, you know, uh, you're paying me, I, I'm gonna, you're going to be the exclusive platform, but I can say whatever I want, which surely Rogan has that clause. Spotify has no editorial control. Don't you think that complicates the idea that they're a publisher and have the same responsibilities as like, you know, the New York Times over what Brett Stevens writes? Uh, what's your reason for thinking Spotify signed a contract that says we have no editorial control? I don't, I can't, um, well, you're, you're right. I mean, if, if they, if Joe Rogan signed a contract saying Spotify can do X, Y, Z with regard to fact checking, then there's no argument here. Cause Joe Rogan agreed to that. I just, I find it impossible to believe he would have given up any editorial control. The one exception was he deleted some back episodes after he signed the contract. Well, okay. So, I mean, it sounds like you are conceding that there was some editorial control, right? That Spotify had both the leverage and the desire 
to restrict him from publishing stuff that they thought was harmful. Well, they took, they took older stuff down from the back catalog. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I don't know how actively they're policing each of these episodes and sending notes, but surely, you know, their legal team would know that they need protection. Right. And in the case that Rogan starts, you know, saying crazy shit about nine 11 and, you know, Bill Gates and, uh, you know, whatever George Soros, he goes off the deep end, right? Spotify yeah. isn't just then like, oh, well, nothing we can do. You're allowed to publish forever, and we have no control over that, right? So it's it's illogical to think that Spotify doesn't have any editorial control. Yeah, I mean, I'm 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 speculating here. I, anyway, I don't I want to, don't want to use that to um, I don't want to try to avoid evade your main point. I, I think. You're saying that Neil within his rights to get rid of Joe Rogan. I, I'm not denying that. It's a normative argument that I think Spotify should have a very light hand here. And and I think one of the reasons I think they should have a light hand is you will face any company like Spotify will face a lot from a lot of groups. Seed yeah, Chicks are the so, classic example of this where there were calls for them to be deep for the Iraq war. And I just don't want yeah. Sorry, you're kind of cutting out. I don't know if that's an issue on my end or yours. Um, but I'll, I'll jump in here to try to respond to it. Can, can you hear me now? Uh, yes, sorry. Yes. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, okay, so... I, I'm sorry. Oh, no, sorry. What was the Dixie Chick Oh, yeah, no, I'm just saying, I mean, I just I don't want this to be a thing where we're mad about um, de-platform at, deplatforming efforts that aren't technically government censorship, which the Dixie Chick thing wasn't. You know, they were removed from radio stations because they oppose the Iraq war. We're cool with that because, or, or we're angry about that because we like the Dixie chicks politics, but then something similar happens in another situation. I, I just think we should have stable and consistent principles and that they should point in a liberal direction. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think that's an argument about government censorship or lack thereof. Right. But I don't think we can expect or, or create a situation in which we would have uh sort of equal market forces based on ideas, right? Like if an idea is very unpopular and the person says it and a lot of people want to boycott that person, then that's that boycotting is going to have a much stronger market force than another thing, you know, than another situation where, so, you know, the Dixie Chicks example, right? At the time, everyone was super pro-war and so they got hit really hard. Um, yeah. Whereas had they had the opposite position, which now in retrospect looks a lot, a lot better, uh, then it wouldn't have happened, right? But, you know, these are market forces, right? These are the way individuals think about, you know, how they want to patronize. Uh, so I don't think I don't think we can expect those to be equal. That's fair. I mean, I, I just, I want it to be the case that those sorts of campaigns are unsuccessful. And that's why I think, like, making these arguments about liberal speech norms and, you know, the value of disagreement and of some fringy opinions the next time something like that happens, I, I want the radio station to realize that if they do drop the Dixie Chicks, they'll they'll be in for a shitstorm and a bigger shitstorm than they'd be. I mean, I hate that's what what it comes down to is power. That's what you're saying, basically. Like, I want the free speech people to be able to cause more trouble for companies than the free speech skeptical people. I think is what it comes down to. Yeah, I, I see your point, but I don't think the the dichotomy here between free speech people and free speech skeptics is what you're saying. I think it's free speech on both sides, right? Neil Young is also practicing his free speech. His speech happens to be, oh, I would like this company to do this thing, and I'm going to use my speech to say that. Well, but there's a difference between saying I'm going to publish an angry debunking of what I see as this misinformation and demanding someone lose their platform, right? uh, I I feel like the, the construction there of demanding someone lose their platform kind of brings to mind other things that are not really relevant for this. Like, you know, are, that sounds like, you know, maybe you're talking about trying to kick a random person off Twitter because right. they said an unpopular thing, but which, you know, I, I almost always am against. But trying to lobby a, you know, a $50 billion public company to, uh, you know, stop broadcasting something that because you think that thing is harmful. That seems like, you know, the, the kind of free speech we'd want to protect and celebrate. Yeah, no, I, and I just want Spotify to say no. I I don't want Neil Young to be punished. I just I just want people to come to the conclusion that this isn't the best way to fight misinformation. I think that's all I'm saying. Okay, but I, I get what you're saying that that the the censorship framing I think you view as maybe overly provocative and that I think it should be applied more to government censorship. Yeah, that's exactly right. 
And, right. and I think, uh, you know, sort of trying to lump this into the, the censorship thing, just sort of, you know, frames it as this, this big culture war thing uh, that, you know, it doesn't have to be, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so I'm happy to disagree with you anytime. <laughs> uh, no, that's, that's, that's a fair point. I appreciate it, Jesse. Yeah. Um, right. Okay. Have well, a good day. Thank you. Bye. You too. Benji, what's up? Hey, can you hear me? Yep. How's it going? It's going all right. I'm going to have to jump off real quick. I'll, I'll come back and listen to your answer later. Um, I've got a, a couple of points. Um, one, and I think Meg kind of was saying something similar, but I just wanted to point out how ironic it is to fight conspiracy theorists by mounting a coordinated effort with high-powered celebrities and big businesses <laughs> to shut them right. down. Yes. You know, it just seems like so obviously counterproductive. Like, if you if you have more of an open discourse, then they they don't have stuff to point to where they can say like, "Oh, these people are trying to shut that shut out this information." Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, then on a, on a related track is, have you read any of the stuff about the Fauci and Francis Collins emails about the lab leak hypothesis? No, I mean, my general understanding is that in some of these emails, Fauci came across as, you know, as very political and as having a politicized view about which information should and shouldn't get out. Is that a fair summary? I haven't read it about it closely. Um, yeah, so they're, they're heavily redacted. And so um, we can't say too much. There's just like reading between the lines. But yeah. basically, there were a number of academics who in private correspondences was sounding sympathetic to lab leak as at least a likely option. And then these were people who were, you know, getting, getting NIAD funding. So under, um, Fauci in some capacity and after Fauci and Francis Collins were kind of talking about, um, how we need to kind of, get ahead of this theory because we don't want to lend, you know, oxygen to these conspiracy theorists. Right. These academics all conveniently change their mind and we don't really know, like, any any direct... Um, if there was any direct, um, like, pressure, pressure or anything, it's all yeah. redacted. Gotcha. Um, but just the, the way in which it unfolded is kind of convenient. And so... Just moves like that, also in the context of like yeah, they sap public theory. they sap public trust, runner, and they lend yeah. themselves to conspiracy theorizing for sure. Yeah, um, and then um, I'm gonna give say I'm I'm running low, low on time, so I'm just gonna say two things real quick and then jump off. Um, you said something earlier along the lines of we shouldn't give companies like YouTube that much power. Um, and I think that's that's kind of a like cultural versus legal like question of like culturally I don't think that we should encourage YouTube to censor, but legally it would be a First Amendment violation for the government to step in and require YouTube to like platform someone, you know? Oh uh, yeah, totally. No, I mean I'm I'm really just making normative arguments here about YouTube yeah. has huge latitude to do whatever it wants. So yeah, agreed. And then the the last thing I'll say before jumping off is, did you see Tyler Cowen's Bloomberg article talking about some of the Neil Young Spotify? I didn't. I, I've just been pretty offline the last few days, unfortunately. But um, I will I will check that out. Tyler Tyler mentions that Neil Young did like a trial launch of his like satellite radio Neil Young channel a couple of days before this whole focus. So there's like some potential uh, like. Uh, moral con conflict like his his motives are not necessarily super pure, pure. in him uh, going after a competitor so anyway oh, I'll, I'll jump off and listen to your answers later but thanks benji appreciate it uh Mich michal 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 i bet it's michal tell me if i'm right hey could you hear me yeah hey it's michal michal i'm like the only orthodox jew that you have listening to you so <laughs> job well i've from, um, the, from hebrew school i can pronounce it right michal Michal. 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 Enough, that's good. There we go. Um, so going with the whole Jewish thing, going to ask you about Whoopi Goldberg because I'm a little bit – I have an internal conflict 
when I heard about Joe Rogan getting canceled for having a conversation, because that's what it was, it was a conversation, I, I was just so upset. But then I see Whoopi Goldberg, and she goes on The View, and she's having a conversation, albeit it's more one-sided because she was talking over everybody, saying that the Holocaust wasn't a race thing, it was a white-on-white war, and basically delegitimizing the deaths of millions of people, and that's a million people, uh, millions of people throughout history. It completely, I was like, at this point, I was like, maybe people deserve to get canceled. At what point is there to, at what point can you say, you know what, we really have to take this person out of the public sphere? Well, so what? Dangerous views. Yeah, I, I guess I don't really believe in the idea of dangerous views in a vacuum. So like, I mean, Nazi Germany is a good example because they had these horrific, anti-Semitic theories, which were racialized. Obviously, Jews aren't a race in the... It's complicated, right? Ethnicity and race are complicated. Yeah, it's an religion. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The Nazi theory, it was a racialized theory. They believed in the Aryans, were the the Ubermenschen, and the Jews were these low... Anyway, but um, Mm. the reason those ideas did so harm is because of a very specific cultural context, because of of what happened in Weimar Germany and the Nazis' rise to power. Whoopi Goldberg yeah. making one dumb remark, I think, probably won't do that much harm. And and I I, I thought her yeah. apology like very straightforwardly was like, this was dumb. I'm sorry. Did you see the Colbert segment? I did not. No. Oh well, on Colbert, she actually then goes back. I think she did it after the apology. Says I don't want to fake apologize, and then double down on her statement, saying that oh. people just misunderstood her. Oh, okay. That's this is... where I was like, yeah. This is this is why I uh, yeah. <laughs> being offline for a few it's days okay, is doing this. It's fine. Yeah, no, that's obviously not good. You shouldn't double down on that. And it, it was, I mean, this seems like one of those um, semantic arguments I always get annoyed about. But it, it was obviously a, a matter of a racial theory that led to the. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I, I'm against people being canceled, but I'm also against them doubling down on misinformation. Yeah, that plus also apparently I'm not, I'm reading from a Jewish from a Jewish Chronicle article. She says that it said that I'm quoting Emma Johnson, her mother, thought that the family's original surname was not Jewish enough for her daughter to become a star. So like that combined, you see where I'm coming from. Yeah, right? yeah, um, I do. And another thing I just want to point, I just thought this was funny because um, I know that um, we were talking earlier about. If the liberal media, and I hate using that term, but I guess we have to come to that. If the liberal media likes you, then they will go ahead and, you know, they'll look over your statements. And if they don't like you, they will go ahead and come on and attack you for those statements. I love how Barry Weiss was attacked for saying that she's over COVID. (laughs) Yeah. But the entire country of England comes out saying they're over COVID and they're completely done. And not one word from the media condemning them except for a tongue-in-cheek somewhat playful uh new york times article yeah there's definitely so some barry weiss derangement syndrome um yeah. anyway thank you for the call michael sorry i, I hadn't seen i'm gonna watch that whoopi goldberg follow-up sorry i'm behind on that oh yeah please uh there. what's up thank you michael all right oh by the way uh no one else getting the queue kennedy's gonna be the last caller just so i gotta go after this but uh siddhartha you're up next hey siddhartha can you hear me Hey, sorry. I uh, I think I hit the mute button twice, so I was just talking to you the are forgiven. <laughs> uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, I wonder if you think the the sort of uh, um, influencers learned the wrong lessons from culture war losses. So I think like Joe Rogan is an example. Like his popularity is kind of a culture war loss for. Um, for a certain you know segment of of media influencers, and and I feel like the you know that they they're unable to to be introspective about why why he's popular and they're not um, yeah and, and so they they turn to character assassination and demonization um, instead of trying to take on you know the the substance of what he's saying wrong. Um, I think that, you know, I like I'm, I, I don't listen to, to Rogan that much. I occasionally tune in. I wouldn't say I'm a fan, but I also don't feel like he's the monster that the media seems to make him out to be. And that, I think, undermines the trust in them as as gatekeepers. So I wanted to get you. No, I, I mean, I really agree with that. And I, I think the lack of interest in why people seek out Joe Rogan or what they like about him 
he's not a monster. I'm, I'm of course biased and compromised. <laughs> you know, he flew me to Ottawa, so don't, don't take it from me. But no one who listens to him at length or hears him interview Bernie Sanders or Matt Iglesias or some random historian could think that he's actually like a reactionary. What people do, they leverage the fact that he generates so many hundreds of hours of content and they'll pick out whatever they don't like and just obsessively focus on it. And I, I don't think he's done himself any favors with how he's covered COVID and the voices he's chosen to have on. I, I think this thing where producer Joel is sort of his real-time fact checker just doesn't work at all because that's not how fact checking works you need a fact check you can't just like google something to fact check it on the spot you need to do better than that and i think when you have a platform of that size you probably have some obligation but the polarization of everything and the fact that people just screaming in lockstep that he's this monster and this horrible influence i mean i i do think that it contributes to his popularity and the popularity of other uh independent media figures so I, i'm with you i i think especially with so many media outlets failing and, and having been propped up by Donald Trump and now failing that he's gone or seeming to fail, uh, why wouldn't you ask yourself why this guy has such a huge audience? Shouldn't you want to copy that? Shouldn't you want to like do some version of what he's doing, maybe with less Robert Malone or whatever? I, I'm baffled by that. Absolutely. I, I, I think um, I, I just think it's entirely the wrong lesson that they're learning. I, I actually think like a, a more Joe Rogan-esque media without like whatever it is they find uh, particularly controversial is possible. Like yeah. longer conversations. People like these long conversations, right? Uh, yes. And this is the reason why I listen to you. Like I like these Thank longer in-depth conversations. I know there's an audience for it. And I think that the, the media could replicate uh, much of his success, but they refuse to do so. And, and uh, instead, they turn to this character assassination, which is the part that is such a turnoff to me. Thanks for letting me rant again, Jesse. Great of show. course. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Uh, Graffator, who I believe is a first-time caller. What is up? Hey there. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Hey, so uh, at the beginning here, I'm hoping you can talk to me like a two. I'm trying to understand what exactly your position is here. Are you saying that you think Neil Young – you're not saying that Neil Young didn't have the right to do what he did. No, of course right? he does. I mean, I think it's lame to call for someone to – yeah, I didn't mean to talk over you. Go ahead. You, you, If I'm hearing you right, what you're saying is it's just not a good use of his efforts and it's, in your opinion um, – damaging because it can censor people in your mind. Yeah. So I, I, Neil Young can do whatever he wants. I don't want Neil Young punished or harmed. Obviously <laughs> nobody listening should, should harass Neil Young. I, there, what Neil Young has done. Um, this is part of a threat. Oh, sure. Well, let, me just, let me just yeah. interrupt you there. I think Neil Young is a performative. Oh yeah. No, no, no. no. Yeah, music. Sure. So I, I, I would be fine with people harassing. <laughs> okay. Harass him over his music. If that's your thing. Uh, there has been what feels like a growing sense among many sort of influential media folks and academics that social media needs to clamp down on more and more speech. That's the trajectory I've sensed. And in my view, I mean, partly I'm motivated by the fact that I've had like fairly well-known progressive writers say I should be kicked off Substack, which is crazy um but but there's just this is a popular thing the idea that the tech companies need to really clamp down on more and more speech to make society better to save people from the misinformation and my argument is that this will have a lot of unintended consequences and undoubtedly because we are all tribal beings these new standards will be applied unfairly at least at first to you know usually to conservative speakers rather than liberal ones and the point i've tried to make is that liberal outlets have have pretty bad misinformation problem of their own. If you, if you really want to go down this road of people losing their careers or being fully deplatformed for spreading misinformation and you're consistent about it, uh, there's going to be some friendly fire there. So I'm basically just broadly speaking in, in favor of uh, liberal norms and rules with regard to this stuff, though I'm not, I'm not a hardliner. Like situations like Alex Jones, I think you can reach a point where you do that shit for so long and in such a pernicious way that even the Jesse singles, you know, won't grieve your absence or your banning. But uh, that's my basic view on this stuff. Well, the, that was going to be, I'm trying to figure out where you're coming from because Alex Jones was going to be my example. It seems to me like, I think it's okay for people 
to be outraged that if he if he were if he were given a show on Spotify all of a sudden, I guess to me and he and he continued to say the things that he used to say. I don't know what he says these days, but um, I guess to me it just would seem um, kind of almost absurdly ideological not to uh, suggest that Spotify should pay a price for having him on there on there. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's obviously if if Spotify signed a neo not to go even more extreme. My argument isn't that there should be no accountability over who Spotify signs or pays. I just think people are drawing the line way too, in an opportunistic way and in way too constrictive a way by saying that Joe Rogan should be deplatformed. It is a little bit silly because obviously Joe Rogan is not going to be deplatformed given the money at stake. But you know the way people respond to something like this is telling. Well. I- yeah, see, I guess I think you're kind of overstating the threat that there was to, to Joe Rogan. I mean, we're talking about Joni Mitchell and Neil Young. Right. And I mean, the, who gives a fuck about those guys? No, but, but I was responding more to seeing so many people agree with them. Like, who... Yeah, see, I guess I just, I disagree with you about gotcha. that. I think the number of people who actually wanted to see Joe Rogan gone is not as high as you think it was. And let me just also suggest that, so I'm also not really a fan of Joe Rogan. I, yep. I can understand the appeal. I really enjoy his long-form interviews of uh, people who aren't politicians or uh, MMA fighters, but he drives me nuts with the way he's covered COVID. But I guess, did you read, did you watch his statement? No, I said um, just because I've been traveling, I haven't watched it. I I, I do need to watch that. I should have watched it before this. So his statement basically was, you know, I'm okay with, Spotify wants to put some disclaimers at the top of my show, and I'm okay with that. And they also... It sounds to me like they want him to uh, follow up an interview with a controversial person with a more mainstream person who can counter some of the. Um... So, for instance, if you have some an anti-vaxxer on the next day, you'd have, uh, you know, Eric Topol on or somebody like that. Right. And um, and he said, and I'm OK with that. I'm I'm good with that. And I got to say, if they if that happened, the Joe Rogan show would be way better. And so my question to you and I think. Because I do think his misinformation regarding, and I think it is misinformation regarding COVID that he that he spouts. It doesn't mean that he should be deplatformed. No, but I think he sucks because of it, and I think it's a fucking joke that uh, somebody with that big a platform is saying such ridiculous stuff or allowing such ridiculous stuff to be said on challenge. So, if the end result of all of this is that he does have a more balanced show, is there anything redeeming in that? Yeah, I mean, I, I I think Rogan should interview more people on the left. I think people overstate the idea that he's like this hard right figure or that he only has like reactionary right. guests when he has a huge range of guests. I, I would love to see him interview, right. you know, my, my favorite uh, clinician who works with trans kids is Erica Anderson or one of, the, one of them is. She's trans too. He should have her on. He should have leftists on, smart leftists. should have Freddie DeBoer on. I... I not just people who disagree with me. He, he should just have a wi- slightly wider range of views on. But I don't want to make it sound like I think he only – I think he's pretty good about the spectrum of views he has. And I just think he sometimes has a thing for James Lindsay-ish conspiracy theorists. And I think he should be smarter about that. Right, right. Yeah, and I mean I think he also – I just think for him – That's the th- I mean, that's the other thing. He, 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 there is no way um, – and I want to get to Kennedy in a minute. Although you're making good points and I appreciate the pushback. There's no way Joe Rogan sits down and is like, well, I need more guests from the center left and the center center right. He look, he just he looks at the world in a very different right, way. And right. I do think the way he looks at the world is, is not elite. Uh, obviously, he's a super mega millionaire. He's a member of the elite now. But I do think he probably right. has more – this is such a douchey thing to say, but legit, he has more truck driver listeners than I have, obviously. It's, it's a different way of looking at the world, and it's one that I think people on the yeah, left yeah, yeah. Should, should try to understand. Of course. Gotcha. Thanks for having me on. Uh, Kennedy, what's up? Mark, I'm not going to be able to get to you this show, but please come back to the next one. I feel bad. I just got to do some work after this. But Kennedy, go ahead. Kennedy. Uh, hold on. Yeah, hey. hi, Jesse. Hey. Hi. How's it going? Uh, good one. Uh, first time call. I'm calling all the way from London. It's like 2 a.m. this side. <laughs> you stayed up till 2 a.m. in London to listen to my show. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just finished work not too long ago. So I thought, and then I saw the notification. So I thought I might as well just uh, stay on and, and see what's going on. But um, 
Yeah, I wanted to uh, just cry. Am I remembering correctly that so when this whole uh, issue with uh, Rogan's show, especially regarding COVID, started with the almost 300 medical professionals that signed the letter. On that letter, they didn't specifically call for censorship. They just wanted Spotify to clarify their policy and to actually enforce it. But then when it came to um, uh, the musicians, uh, Tony Young and uh, Johnny Mitchell, they're the ones that actually gave the ultimate to say, it's either you have our music or you or you remove Joe. But when it was the open letter, it didn't specifically say we want him removed. They just said we want some some type of policy clarification on what's happening. Is that am I remembering that correctly? Is that I believe so, yeah. I think I think that letter and again, I I apologize for being behind on everything, it's just because of the travel. I think that letter basically accused Spotify uh, of more or less not following their own um, policies about bi- misinformation and and just said you should take the misinformation policy more seriously. But I do not. I think you're right that it didn't include any uh, call for him to be deplatformed. Oh, okay, it was only okay. That makes sense. And um, yeah. and I was just wondering, do you think maybe sometimes we underestimate the balance that Joe has on the show just because maybe the controversial guests have more views or gain more traction because i can remember from since the beginning of the pandemic i think he's had like four guests that represent the mainstream view in terms of covid like the, right in the beginning he had um i think it's michael osterholm um the, the guy that's on biden's team right now he had, a, he had a few and then he had like a big virologist or epidemiologist right yeah he's, he, he had michael osterholm he, he's, he had uh nicholas christakis he had Peter Holtes, who's like a, a big uh, vaccine guy. And then most recently, he had Sanjay Gupta. But I think because Malone and McCullough's episodes have sort of clouded all those and people have forgotten that he's already had a couple of people that represent, that came there and represent like, the main views that were sort of... Because I'm seeing all these um, comments about he should, if he's really about discussion, then he should have people of the opposite view. But if you actually go back and look in the past two years, he has had those people, but maybe you've just forgotten. And... In terms of leftists, I mean, he regularly... I mean, the, the leftist that I know that he regularly has on there is Kyle, but that's, like, maybe the only guy that he regularly um, invites back multiple times. But obviously, he's at Bernie, he had Connor Worst. But I agree, maybe he might have... He, he would um, benefit from having more sort of mainstream leftist figures on the show. But I think m- my view is that maybe sometimes we underestimate the balance that he has on there, just because the more controversial, more fiery guests sort of go viral and then we forget that you know he's already had um people on yeah yeah that, i mean that's what i was saying with the last caller where he he produces like one episode of his show is often three hours long so he's producing yeah, yeah. 15 hours a week you know it's, it's yeah keep up. <laughs> and no and the people who hate him often the people who hate him often don't really listen to it much so i, I just think you know what percentage of his, the total audio he produces contains anything that's genuinely offensive? I don't want to downplay it because I wish, again, I wish he'd do better on the vaccine stuff. But the uh, it's it's a dumb comparison, but almost in the same way where like people are obsessed with treating Barry Weiss like she's the worst, most far right pundit. When like it's just not. I don't know. I think people get these fixations, especially when there's maybe a little bit of resentment or jealousy but with rogan there is this idea that he's just constantly having wackos on that being said he doesn't do himself any favors by having like alex jones on and stuff like that it's true and and i guess when you have them back to back it just it just people just forget you know people just forget that you've had you know other people on there so i guess maybe it would be much better like he said in his video that he did say that he he going forward he wants he wants to attempt to have uh, balancing views back to back such that if he has like a controversial figure one time and then the next day he's going to have someone that's going to counter such that it's still fresh in people's minds and then they can see that balance because when the most the, the mainstream person you know Sanjay uh, Sanjay Gupta's episode was what maybe a month or, or two ago now so people have forgotten that all they remember is Malone and McCullough that came and sort of you know had the the, the controversial views on, on COVID and vaccines and that so maybe going forward having guests back to back might be might work better for him in terms of the perspective, um, the perception that people have of, of him in the show. Definitely. I agree with you, Kenny. No problem. Thanks for having me, man. Cheers. Yeah, thanks for coming on. All right, Mark, I, I will take your call because I'm, uh, I'm a good guy. This will be the last one. Uh, hey, hey. First time oh. caller. Um, Welcome. Hey, so 
I have so we have you. Uh, I've joined this like very last minute, so I'm not quite sure uh, what all the ground you covered. What do you make of this uh, counter argument that you see from I think Kara Swisher, and I'm blanking out on I think Ryan Broderick, the guy who runs Garbage Day, that this isn't really a issue of censorship. What it really is is about Spotify taking responsibility as a publisher of Joe Rogan. Yeah, I, so I mentioned I did mention that maybe like forty minutes ago at this point. I, I think there's some genuine complexity there, and Broderick at least treated this as he. They're obviously a publisher in this case. I. So what I said to the caller who brought this up is, is just that my sense is it's like really an agreement where Rogan Spotify does not have any editorial control over Rogan contractually, and he can say whatever he wants. And I just think that is a different game that's a little bit more complicated than like. When I worked for New York Magazine, when I worked for New York Magazine, obviously anything I publish under my byline name there is the responsibility um, of New York Magazine, and the buck stops there. And if I'd published something really bad, they would have had some degree of responsibility. I just think this is a little bit different, and I think it's a very, I think it's just a new sort of arrangement where Rogan, Rogan really, Rogan is not working out of a Spotify office. It's just him and his producers in this random office park outside Austin, and. I don't think they have any actual Spotify has any actual oversight. I think that complicates things a little. Does that jive with your understanding? Yeah, I, I mean, the way that I've been trying to think about this, I mean, this is a totally different example, but I, you know, I, I, I think the I, one of the censorship issues that I always think about is Salman Rushdie and the Satanic verses, and I almost think that maybe we're looking at this. I think they're looking at it from the point of view of journalists, right? Because they're yeah. interviewers. And he's interviewing people, and they think that it's doing journalism. I think in some ways more like a – I think it's probably more akin to book publishing, right? Where for one, it's long form. Book publishing I think has more leeway for you know, kooky writers writing kooky things and in interviews, maybe in books that purport to be nonfiction but perhaps aren't 100% accurate. Do you think yeah. that there may be just like the book publishing idea of perhaps like fact-checking might be there, but it doesn't have to be super – on point, like it is in magazine publishing or newspaper, that perhaps that's the right way to look at this instead of just as, hey, we're journalists here and we're applying the same standards that we have at New York Magazine, let's say, as journalists. Yeah. In, in book publishing, unless you're like a superstar author, you're just on your own for fact-checking. So my publisher just sort of trusted me to fact-check. I mean, I, I, I think joe rogan should hire one or two fact checkers or researchers and pay them a shitload and like integrate corrections and fact checking into his show in some way that doesn't break up the flow like if if one out of every eight episodes in his feed was like a researcher following up on some issue it would be nerdy and it would break up the flow of the feed but it would be important i i, I don't think rogan has always done a good job like taking fact-checking as seriously as you probably have to when you have that much money, but I don't think there's a direct analogy there with book publishing just because book publishers really are like you're just on your own for fact-checking. I see, I see. So with Joe Rogan's resources, he ought to maybe get a person or two. I think it's expand Jamie's arsenal higher. That's the thing. Like uh, Jamie's a good guy. He's not like – it's – I don't want to use the term insulting. People throw that around, but being like, "Yeah, Jamie's going to be the fact checker. He's going to fact check stuff." That's not how fact checking works at all. Like uh, magazine fact checkers, their full time job every day is to track down these nitty gritty details, and it is so much time and effort. And why Rogan? He could pay two hundred thousand dollars, make someone the best paid fact checker in America, uh, and it would improve the quality of his show and add some accountability. So I think that's the direction you should. go. I see. Um, and as a final point, and one of the things that I kind of fear, and this is, I think, from the Kara Swisher side of things, they say, well, things have consequences and the person just has to accept them. It seems to me like a fair number of journalists are just kind of throwing up the actions have consequences uh, verbiage without ever kind of examining. It's very conservative. Yeah, what the consequences are and not really assessing if it's the right thing to happen. What do you make of I don't know. This rather, I think, maybe blinkered, not very. I guess, yeah. What, what's what do you think is driving that sort of blinkered point of view? There seems to be a, a huge amount of incuriosity on making any sort of assessment or ethical assessment of a protest that might be happening or yeah. critique that's being made against. I, I think Donald Trump melted a lot of brains and led to a certain rigidity or radicalism among like some mainstream liberal figures, frankly, and I think the sort of 
quote-unquote reckoning just made that worse and there's really this sense that we need to to cleanse our spaces of impure influences and i think that's really unhealthy and i think that misses the point of how misinformation spreads and how people come to believe stuff that's false but it's it's very trendy right now to like to want to be the the cleanser the sort of religious police but i don't know if that's really answering your question but that's sort of what i feel like as in like um they're just kind of looking for any sort of punishment regardless yeah people are in a people are in a punitive mood and they they i think especially people in media i would argue they sometimes overestimate the influence of media and like as i said earlier and maybe i'll just wrap up with this like i'm not sure joe rogan himself has made all that many people believe stuff they wouldn't have believed otherwise i can't prove that i just I think belief is a lot more complicated than that, and the sorts of people in the market for quote-unquote alternative medical information probably have other stuff going on and would probably find some other source if it wasn't Rogan. And Rogan has had mainstream figures on too, so like we should factor that in. So, yeah. All right. Uh, I, I guess uh, one final question if you have time, and maybe it's a little bit of a glib one. Um, how much do you think is dri- how much do you think of this coverage this kind of really strange long news cycle is driven by the fact that some of these journalists who are quite who paid quite a lot of money to go to college and might have gone to an Ivy League school have to cover someone who they just deem to be just kind of dumb. I, I think there's, I mean, I'm snooty too. I just talked about how his audience is truck drivers. So yeah, there's definitely snootiness. There, there's definitely this belief that people who don't have the right education, the right credentials are believing quote unquote wrong things. And the point I've tried to make is that very well-credentialed people working at impressive outlets have been wrong about so much stuff in recent years. I think we should maybe get our own house in order a little bit or at least try to figure out why this keeps happening rather than spend so much time trying to like purge dissidents. Cool. Okay, that's all I have to ask. Thank you, Mark. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. As always, I really appreciate it. We had a good-sized crowd today. I think it's because I did it at a, a better time than I used to. I like whoever has the... Um, blue with the the joe biden licking ice cream cone uh image very erotic um yeah no thank you guys i would i would just ask if you like the show tell other people about it try to get other people on call in to follow me etc uh and with that i'm going to go drink beer and eat food and do some work really appreciate that bye guys